Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, just a little heads up. Today we are talking about things like anxiety, OCD, depression. We do mention suicide, suicide ideation. If in case this is not something that you want to listen to or you'd be listening to this around young ears and want to save this for a different day, just wanted to give you a heads up. Hey guys, it's Candace. We really thought we would have everything figured out by the time we're in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. We are slightly directionally challenged. That's okay. Welcome to another new episode. It is just me today. Kayla is busy working. She's with the fam, just glowing and bumping along in her pregnancy. We are so happy for her. And I am so happy for you guys because, oh my goodness, do we have a treat for you today. Today on this episode of Directionally Challenged, we have Allison Raskin. Now, some of you may have heard her on our podcast many years ago with her podcasting partner, Gabby Dunn. They have a podcast called Just Between Us, also produced by Melissa Mons, who produces this show. They are fantastic. Together, they've written a few books. But today we are talking about 
Allison Raskin's new book that she has written herself titled Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or depression. Uh, She says it best. There are so many books about relationships. There are so many books about mental health. You can walk down aisles of either of those if you still frequent the bookstores, which I do. Does anyone? Am I? I'm, I know I'm not alone. There's always a few other people in the bookstore. They've got a Starbucks. I highly recommend it. I love a Barnes and Noble. I'm totally a Barnes and Noble member. They are not sponsoring this episode, but they totally could because I really don't want bookstores to ever go away. Um, but my point being is that there are so many books that you can pull off the shelves about either relationships, finding a partner, or taking care of yourself and self-confidence and mental health and mental illness. But very rarely is there a book that encapsulates all of that subject matter in one. And Allison has done just that with her new book. So stay tuned. I'm going to be back in a moment with Allison Raskin talking about her new book. And we are here with Allison Raskin. Hi, it is so good to see your face, even though it's through Zoom. I wish we could be back in the living room together again. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. Gosh, not much has changed in the world since uh, we've seen (laughs) each other. You know, mine is like a global pandemic and just that, you know, we're still in the upside down. But you have so many things exciting things coming up. And I know that you've also had a very eventful couple of years that you've been so just incredibly vulnerable in sharing with the people that follow you online. But first and foremost, I just want to say congratulations on your new book that this is just you. This is just Allison's book. I know that you've written a few books with Gabby. And so when did you begin writing this book? Oh boy, books take forever. So uh-huh. I <laughs> I would assume they would. They should. Yeah. <laughs> Even I think I I came up with the idea for the book in early 2019 when I sort of noticed that like I was dating in a different way than I had before that like after years of just really struggling to date in a healthy way, I felt like much more in control of it. And I and I kind of like wanted to examine, you know, this intersection between mental health and dating because it just really bizarrely like hadn't been done before. You know, there's like been a lot of books on dating and there's a lot of books on mental health, but there wasn't really one about, you know, navigating romantic relationships when, you know, you struggle with this. And so that was like the original conceit. And, and then honestly, I don't think I sold it until I didn't sell it until probably like a year later. Um, And so it took like multiple book proposals, a lot of um, reimagining, fighting with my book agent at the time about, you know, her telling me I needed to do something, me saying no, and then her being right. Uh, And then, (laughs) and so then I think I started the writing, writing process probably in like, April or May of 2020, and then finished up the writing process in early 2021. And then, you know, you have all that time where they have to like make it go to print and everything. So it was quite, quite the journey. (laughs) Well, especially writing a book on mental health and dating in a year like 2020, when I, I mean, peak time for everyone really 
coming forward to share and discuss their experiences with mental health, whether it's their own or family members or loved ones around them that they're no longer allowed to see anymore, but can see that they're struggling. And also dating in 2020 was from anyone that I was speaking to that was single was not simple. It wasn't a typical way of dating. So that must have been a very interesting time to be writing a crossroads, you know, book about both of those subject matters. Well, for me, I had quite a few dating experience and relationship experiences during the pandemic in that I both got engaged and I got left by my fiance. So it was a lot. You know, in the last few years, I I both like had reached this accomplishment of being engaged and finally feeling settled in my romantic life in this way that like I had coveted and wanted, you know, my entire life. And then you know, having these like elaborate fantasies of me finally going on the book tour and being like a married woman and being able to say like, I'm a success story and so can you. Only, you know, for then the rug to be completely ripped out from under me and for me to have to like face my my worst case scenario fear and really honestly like applying a lot of the lessons from the book to my healing where like in the past when I had been left which had happened many times, but never by a fiance, I had like mentally fallen apart. You know, I had like mentally beaten myself up on top of just like the pure grief of losing someone that you love. What was really interesting about this like last heartbreak was that even though it was by far like, you know, the most significant loss of my life, it hit me in a completely different way because the way I thought about the world, the way I thought about relationships, the way I treated myself through all of it was so different. Uh, that I didn't fall apart mentally in the same way as I had, you know, following less significant breakups. It was different in the sense that you felt like you had done, you had like the emotional tools in your own personal toolbox to make sure that you could take care of yourself. Totally. I like to think of it as like I had set up safety nets for myself, you know, so even though it was so devastating and so disorienting, right? Because when you're left with no warning, you've lost complete control over your life. Like, all the future that you had been planning, the day-to-day life that you had been living, like you have no control over the fact that that's all now gone. And so there was a big adjustment in dealing with and accepting all of that. But what I didn't do was I didn't blame myself and I didn't beat myself up. So I was able to be kind to myself and step in as my own friend during this loss instead of in the past where I had, you know, wanted to die or self-harm or blamed myself or hated myself or, you know, made these big declarations that this proved that I was unlovable or this proved that I'm, you know, a piece of shit or that no one, uh, that I'll never be happy again. Like I was able to even like right after he left, I had this sense of like that I was going to ultimately be okay, which I had never had before, you know, following such a heartbreak. Well, I absolutely want to ask, you know, how you came to some of the, you know, chapters within your book that you would later on apply to a relationship that did not necessarily turn out the way that I think either of you had planned. But first, for any of our listeners that, you know, that don't follow you or don't know you well, do you mind sharing a little bit about your own personal experience with both mental illness and mental health? And just kind of starting about like, at what point you realized that you were struggling with either and both of those. Yeah. So (laughs) 
I actually have been struggling since I was four years old. I had something called pandas, which basically means I had a strep throat infection and it activated OCD in my brain. So I actually have like a pretty intense onset story where like a couple, I believe like a couple weeks after getting sick with the strep throat, um, my parents noticed a really severe change in my behavior to the point where they like thought maybe I had a brain tumor because I was just behaving in such a drastically different way than I had been before. But I was really lucky, you know, even though this was like the, I guess, mid 90s, like 94, they were so proactive about it. They recognized that it was a real problem. They didn't have that mindset of like, oh, what does a little kid have to be upset about? You know, they were like, oh, she's ill. (laughs) And then they, you know, dressed it the way they would have any sort of physical ailment. So they got me in to see doctors at Johns Hopkins and actually put me on Prozac when I was four. So I had like liquid Prozac in my apple juice, which, you know, one day will be the name of something. (laughs) And then then I was in therapy and, and, you know, so mental health has always been a part of my life. Like I don't have any real sense of, of not living a life with this element. And I think, you know, for me and my mental health advocacy, that was sort of something that kind of unfolded naturally where when I, you know, started off my career on the internet, both like at BuzzFeed Video and then just with our own YouTube channel just between us, you know, because we were playing kind of like caricature versions of ourselves, at least at the beginning, you know, I would talk about my mental health. I would talk about these struggles and I could really see that people were like, you know, even in 2014, people weren't talking as openly about this stuff. Like I think in the last few years, we've seen a real shift where people are more open talking about mental health. But for whatever reason, I always felt comfortable talking about it, probably because I would compulsively (laughs) share. And so I was always really open about these things about myself. And I honestly feel like that's a big part of how I was able able to build this community online by being authentic and, and not being afraid to share that side of myself. And I was also, you know, at the same time sharing my my dating struggles and it would be like, here's my boyfriend, everyone, I did it. And then it'd be like, I, my boyfriend broke up with me. And then it'd be like, here's my next boyfriend, I did it. That boyfriend, we had to break up too, you know? Uh, and so it's but would kind you of- share these things even in school? Would you share these things with friends? Like when you were younger and you were at a sleepover, is this something that you would talk about? Or did you find this later on in life when you felt that there was a microphone and a camera and kind of not the, what's funny is that there is almost an, a level of anonymity when you're kind of just putting something out into the internet. You know, it's not someone sitting right in front of you, whereas it's not people that you necessarily know every single day. So did you get more comfortable with that as you got older in the kind of social media and YouTube space? Or did you even have that comfortability when you were younger? One of the things that's so funny about the fact that I wrote like a memoir self-help book is that I have a terrible memory. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I don't, I can't, I can't say with full confidence, but I don't remember ever hiding that part of myself. Like I, I think that I always was pretty explicit about the fact that I had OCD with the people in my life. But I will say this book is incredibly vulnerable in ways that I haven't been open with people in my life. You know, some people I have, some people I haven't. And I definitely part of what allowed me to write it was thinking, oh, well, no one I know will actually read it. (laughs) (laughs) Even though that's like not true. 
you find yourself now in a position where you have this platform, people are responding. And then now we're in 20, you know, in this post 2020 world where I think everyone is, you know, so much more vocal about and not only mental health, because I think that there is, a, you know, there is a lane within the social media sphere of, you know, oh, my gosh, I woke up and I feel anxious. So I have like full blown anxiety but I deal with it and you can deal with it too, which is fine. I'm glad that people are sharing about their moments of feeling anxious or, or you know, d- depression that maybe like a low grade depression that they're able to have their own emotional tools to kind of navigate their way out of it. But that there is also a world in which, you know, someone who needs to turn to medication, someone who needs help, whether it's a psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, therapy, where there's where there's much more clinical side of it. You know, the difference of like, you know, I have a scratch and my skin was able to heal itself as opposed to like I had a broken arm and had to have like metal and it it now works after a lot of lot of help. Does that make sense? Where I feel like there's now like it's not just like the shiny, pretty version of mental health in mental illness. It is a let's really, really talk about it. Whereas even seeing like some of your TikTok videos, you know, openly discussing your OCD in a way of really wanting to share what it what it is like for you, I think is so important. Have you felt like you've gotten more comfortable with that more recently? Uh, do you feel that your response is has kind of grown over these last couple of years where people are being more open about what maybe they've struggled with and in appreciation for you sharing your stories? People have always shared back to me. And I think that that's been such a motivating factor. You know, nothing has felt better over the course of my career than hearing someone say that I was part of the reason, if not the reason that they went to therapy or that they finally tried medication or that they feel more comfortable being who they are and and talking about their mental health with the people in their lives. And so seeing that, you know, feedback is like, oh, my God, of course, I got to keep doing what I'm doing because it, it feels like it's, you know, having an actual positive impact. And, you know, There is a lot of mental health content out there now. And I think that that is really great. And I think like with anything there, there are good parts and bad parts. And and so, you know, the reality is, is, is that a lot of people do not have access to therapy. They can either not afford it or they don't have time or like it's just not something that they can actually have in their life week to week in the way that like it would be the most effective for them. So you know, a lot of what I try to do with my content is is sort of provide resources for, for both people who have access to therapy, but also for people who don't, you know. But I think I it is a really tricky thing. Like you said, you know, there's some tips where it's like, oh, that will help. And sometimes people are really suffering and they need the help of a professional or they need more resources. And I really try to be as responsible with the content that I put out as possible. A lot of stuff is me interviewing. You know, the book is not just me saying like, here's what I think. Like it's filled with expert interviews. It's, you know, it's like, it is me kind of mediating between, you know, mental health professionals and the regular person to sort of like make this information digestible and accessible and applicable. But it's not just me saying like, and this is what I think, you know, because I'm not qualified to do that. But I also, you know, I I did want to be a bit more qualified to talk about all of this stuff, which is why I actually, I went back to school and I am getting a, a graduate degree in psychology just so that I can 
speak about all this stuff, not just from the lens of my own experience, but from a greater understanding of mental health and, and the mental health world in, in general. Um, but it is tricky. You know, it is like, you know, I think it is really powerful to see people share their stories and their experiences, but sometimes that's not going to be enough and you are going to need other, other help. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend. Plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, 
and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. back well another you know realm of the internet where i know that i would need a lot of help is i don't know how anyone dates these days (laughs) like how does that work i cannot imagine you know filling out a a profile on a dating site and then you know essentially i would assume it's very much like social media you want to put you know basically the highlight reel of who you are but then when you also want to be able to be open about maybe some mental health that you struggle with or mental illness or prepare, you know, your partner for just like all of you, which is also should be part of your highlight reel because it's human and it's real. And this is, you know, what a majority of people are actually experiencing out in the world. You know, how do you start introducing someone that you're dating to, uh, you know, other parts of yourself like depression or anxiety or OCD? What, you know, did you were you like, OK, I got a fourth date rule by the fourth date. <laughs> it's like real talk. I, I wish it was that simple, right? I wish it was like, you know, follow this, this and this, and then you'll be married within the year. Like if I had that roadmap, I would be so very rich. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really talk, you know, there's an entire chapter of the book dedicated to how do we talk about our mental health with our partner, because it is so important and it is so tricky and we're not really given the tools to do it. So I sort of approach it, you know, with the guidance of, of these professionals I spoke to, it's not about the, the time spent. It's more about the stage of the relationship, right? Because you have some relationships where like you're on date six and you still don't really know anything about this person because you just keep going to do activities or drinking or hanging out. And like, you know, you maybe know about their funny coworker, but you don't know what their parents do or if they're even alive. Like, you know, like, you don't you haven't like reached a, a a more deeper connection. And so I think when you're in a surface level or more casual relationship with someone, you don't really have to disclose your mental health history. Like you can if you want, but like it's up to you. But I think once you start to realize that you're opening up with this person, they're opening up with you, you are reaching that stage of a relationship where you are sharing more real things. And look, I think sometimes that can be the first date, right? If you're in your 30s and you have a four hour date with somebody, things might come up and that's totally valid. And it's really just thinking about 
not needing to share everything all at once. I think when I was younger, I was like, let me tell them everything so they can either accept or reject me. But then over time, realizing that like, it's okay for me to just disclose a little bit here, a little bit there. I can, you know, what a relationship is, is really just like an ongoing conversation with another person, right? It's endless conversations. And so I think that we often feel like we have to have one definitive time where we talk about things, but The reality is is you're always going to be talking about things. And so you get to decide what to disclose and when. And then the component that I don't think we think about enough is is the atmosphere of that disclosure, right? Like you want to be in control, not just of the, the content that you're sharing, but the way in which you're sharing it. Yeah. So what does that look like exactly? Yeah. So like if you go into... like a conversation where you're like, okay, I'm going to tell this person that I used to be suicidal. And then you tell them it with a lot of of nervousness and a lot of like worry. And you're shouting at them across a crowded bar about like maybe your past suicidal ideation. That's like a lot for somebody to take in and like a crowded environment. And like maybe they're picking up on that. You're really nervous to share this with them. And and so the way that they're going to receive that information is very different than if you're, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon, you're in someone's home, there's no there's no distractions, there's no, you know, like worry that anyone's going to overhear you. And you're able to share from a place of, of ownership, right? Where it's like, hey, this is something that I've dealt with in my life. This is something that maybe, you know, I'll have to continue to deal with. But I feel like it has really shaped who I am as a person. And it's also something that I'm, you know, I know that it's my responsibility and something that I'm in charge of. Instead of being like, here's my problems and this will, if we date, they will be your problems too. (laughs) You know, those are two very different things. Is that something you had to (laughs) learn, you know, going from your 20s to your 30s? Is that something? Because to me, I would feel like in my 20s, yeah, it would be like, okay, here is my stuff. And they are now, it's now our stuff, you know, (laughs) just like we are sharing this meal, we are sharing our triggers and traumas, as opposed to reaching a higher level of now being an adult realizing, oh, no, we are responsible for our, you know, emotional and well being, you know, that that's our responsibility as a as an adult human. I mean, that's really the the central thesis of the whole book is that like you are your primary helper and then your partner is your secondary helper. And I do think that age helped me get there. I mean, it is just the fact that like your brain is not fully formed until you're like 25, 26. And so I think a lot of times we put this pressure on these people in their young 20s to like have things figured out when like it is biologically difficult for them to do that. But I also think we are having these conversations, right? So like maybe if I'd read a book about this when I was 27, I maybe would have figured this stuff out a bit faster. And so uh, my my book that I read when I was in my early 20s about dating was titled He's Just Not That Into You. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yes. if you compare that to what is like available to young people now to read about their or like why bitches get men. Like there was literally a book titled something like that. And I remember it was like what a lot of us were reading just to really, you know, really know how to operate in the world as a as a single female, uh, which is ridiculous. I look back at that. I'm like, wow, that no, it explains so much, so much. 
Totally. And it was such it was such game based dating. It was very much like, how do you manipulate somebody into committing to you? I also read the game. So yeah. which is also an actual book. <laughs> know all about negging, you know, you know all about dudes using magic tricks. Actually saw a lot of dudes pulling some magic tricks back in the club days. So what a time the early aughts where dudes would go to clubs wearing funky hats and doing magic tricks in order to try to sleep with women. Yeah, just wild times. And I'm sure they're all in, in really healthy and happy marriages now from that. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, right? Like if like the big thing is that we don't know how to date in a healthy way because nobody is teaching us. Like, it's like this expectation that like, oh, if you meet the right person, then you will both instinctively know how to show up for each other and how to support each other and how to be good partners to each other. But why? Like, you're two completely different people. You have had completely different experiences, probably different communication styles, different love languages, different, you know, like different way of approaching the world. And so- What's really important is not finding somebody who immediately knows how to be the right partner for you. It's finding somebody who has a willingness to learn how to do that. You know, like I I was talking with my boyfriend, you know, the other day and he was like, you know, one of the hardest things is a lot of times people think that you should know what to do that like, you know, he's, I guess, dated people in the past who wouldn't express their needs and then be upset that when he didn't meet those needs. But like, how is he supposed to be able to if nobody expressed them? And so I think, you know, a big thing I try to talk about is like figuring yourself out is the important first step, because if you don't figure yourself out, if you don't figure out what you need, if you don't figure out how your brain operates, if you don't know how your mental health disorders manifest in your life, then you can't communicate that to your partner. <laughs> But so once- what is an example of how you began to figure that out for yourself? I, I mean, obviously, we discussed time. There is a huge element of that. But what were what were kind of those little like aha moments for you that you've collected along the way? You know, I think just like learning more about my OCD, learning about how it manifests. I think it was really important for me to shift into explaining the distress that my OCD causes me. Because I've I've contamination OCD. And so a lot of times that would just look like me telling people what they were doing was disgusting or like inserting these rules into what they can and cannot touch and how I expect them to behave in my home and with me. And that can cause someone to feel like really rejected and judged and that like I think that they're gross. But what I needed to learn was that I just need to explain that I'm living with a mental illness that causes me a lot of distress and that it has nothing to do with them. It has made up rules. It isn't based in reality, but my brain still deals with this. And so I'm asking you to not put the mail there, not because you're a bad person and I'm mad at you for putting the mail there, but because I'm living with a disorder that causes me distress when the mail that I view as contaminated touches my clean table. Like those are two such different things. And if I'm not able to express that to somebody, then they think that I just think that they're a gross fuck up for putting the mail on the table. I think that can be applied to so many parts of a relationship, like even just emotional triggers. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as like one 
person in a partnership could have had parents that never fought in front of them. And the other one could have had parents that fought with them all the time. And they're going to have two completely different sets of triggers within a discussion and an argument or a moment of tension within the relationship. And so to be able to exactly what you're saying, even utilize an opportunity like that to say, look at yourself and see like, okay, how can I share with this person so that they know it's not personal to them. And then also exactly what you just said, taking accountability of like why it, it you feel affected in those moments so that your partner can actually have a better view of, of who you are within the relationship. And it, that's the hardest thing in any relationship, I think, is like recognizing what to take personally and what not to take personally. And a majority of the time, it's actually so much of it is not personal, but it's so hard. Right. And it's and it is like counterintuitive in a lot of ways because you're like, but they're reacting to me, the person. But their reaction is not a reflection of you. I mean, so many other things are at play and like someone's context is so important. But a lot of times we don't share our context with somebody, right? So you just come home and you're in a bad mood and they think, oh, they don't love me anymore. When in reality, it's like you just had a really hard day at work and maybe it's the maybe it's the anniversary of your dog dying and like your friend who you haven't talked to in a long time, you saw them post a photo with your other friend on Instagram and then you're all a mess and like, but your partner just sees it as they come home from work and they're not excited to see me. Right. So like so like communication goes such a long way in all of these ways that I don't even think that we think about the impact that being able to openly communicate with your partner, like things that you might even think, why would I bother to share that? Like it is important to share for them to understand your context. So I don't really understand how the online dating world works. It's obviously really hit its stride in the past decade. But did you ever have moments where any of like your anxiety or or did it increase any bouts of depression? Like I find social media really, really stressful. Like when I'm not in a really good headspace, I have to take a big step back from it. Whereas if you're, you know, out there trying to meet people, do people just meet people out and about these days or when so much of it is geared towards this like online swipe right swipe left like did you feel any of that ever take a toll on your mental health over the years definitely you know I think uh, online dating is is both a blessing and a curse and the way that you can make it go more one way or the other is your approach to it right and so also your cognitions around what it means so if you view online dating as something that reflects your worth and the amount of matches that you have directly shows how much value you have as a human being, engaging in online dating is going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah, right. I would assume. Yes, it would be horrible because every rejection, every unanswered message, every like person that you swipe yes on that doesn't swipe yes on you is proof that you're not good or proof that you're never going to find anybody. And I get why our brains go towards that. I mean, we have a negativity bias as human beings, like we've been taught to view things this way. But the real work, if you want to engage in online dating, which I'm a huge proponent of, I, I have had many relationships, most of my relationships come off of online dating. My current partner and I met on Hinge. I think it is a wonderful asset. But I also think 
when you're online dating, what it really means is that you're open to a relationship. So that means you should be open to a relationship in every aspect of your life. You know, telling your friends, hey, I'm looking to be set up. Like, if you know anyone, please think of me. Going to parties, talking to somebody, being open to the person on the, you know, the Trader Joe's line. It's not just like I'm dating, so I'm online dating. It's I'm dating in general, so I'm open to possibilities kind of in any aspect of my life. And then there, you know, I talk a lot about dating productively and how one of the ways to really to really help our mental health and make it so it isn't such a bad thing is to date productively. Because if you're not dating productively, you're going to have so many more negative experiences, which is going to tarnish the way that you approach dating in general. And it's probably going to amp up your anxiety. It's going to make you want to avoid it. It might make it so you create a profile, delete it a week later, create another one, delete it a week later. But if you approach it with like real purpose and look at it in a way where it is like you're like look, it is like a, it is like a job for you to find a partner. And therefore you're going to go about it in the way that you would do any other job instead of viewing romantic love as something different from the rest of our life, as something magical, as something that requires an element of fate or like, like, you know, these things that like make it so we don't approach it in the same kind of pragmatic way. We do literally everything else. I think really approaching it like, okay, I need to know exactly what it is that I'm looking for. And then I need to actively look for that. And also view people who don't, I that, that where instead of viewing like a rejection as like proof that you're garbage, view it as an incompatibility with one other person on a planet of billions of people. I mean, that seems very fair. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. back it's hard to also remember that you know not everyone walks around the world just always attracted to everyone like for every person that you know might be saying that that you're just not 
the person that they see themselves with. There are tons of people I'm assuming that you're looking at going, oh, yeah, no, that's not the person for me. I know that's not the person for me. So it goes both ways, essentially, but it's just harder to remember, I'm sure, (laughs) how many people you've swiped left or right. I don't know which one is that. I'm assuming left is the no thank you lane, but... I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and allowing yourself to not give up, right? Because wanting a partner is totally valid. Like it is a lifestyle choice. It is just a certain, you know, not everyone wants a long-term partner also super valid. But if you know that about yourself, that that's the way that you like to live your life, that that's something that you want for your future and, and you know, for your day to day, then like really allowing yourself to, to go after that, to like to do the whatever work you need to do on yourself so that navigating, you know, the rejections don't hit you the same way to sort of reframe the way that you approach it. And to just like put in the effort and the energy to, to make it happen. You know, like one of the great advice that I got, you know, from the dating experts was like, if you see somebody's profile and there's like no information about them on that profile, that's them showing that they don't really care about this, right? That they're not really putting energy into online dating. And so it's unlikely that they're going to put energy into you. Like you really only want to engage with profiles that are fleshed out where you have like a sense of who this person is. And then the other component is like, showing up as yourself as quickly as possible, right? Because if you're not being yourself in these exchanges with people, how are you going to figure out if you're compatible with them? Like I would always make jokes when I was online dating that I knew a lot of people would not connect with, but that I also knew I couldn't date someone who didn't find that joke funny. Yes. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. So it's like you're weeding people out by just showing up as yourself. And then it sort of reveals the people who you're actually compatible with instead of viewing it as a numbers game of I must go on as many dates as possible to feel of value. I I mean, I love how much you keep also mentioning that it how important it is to not equate your value to who is chasing after you or how many swipe rights you get or how many likes you get or hearts or dates that you really have to make sure that going into this process, especially if you are someone who is um, more vulnerable to mental health or does suffer from any mental illness, that you have to make sure that you've established your own worth and your own personal value and hold on to that to the best of your ability when navigating the dating world at this point. Definitely. And, and you know, there's that saying of like, you know, no one can love you until you love yourself. I don't think that's true. I think plenty of people don't love themselves and are in relationships. The question that I ask is, is it a healthy relationship? And, you know, it's it's hard to be in a healthy relationship if you don't love and like yourself. And so kind of doing that work on the front end so that when you do go look for a relationship, and I don't mean you need to be completely healed. I'm not healed. Like I still struggle with OCD. I still struggle with things. We're all still struggling with things. But having a certain baseline of a, a relationship with yourself where these other people cannot rock you in the same way that they can when you don't like yourself or when you don't respect yourself, um, I think is a really important first step. 
Have you been in a relationship or even at the start of a relationship in which someone, you know, saw you suffering in an episode of OCD or just saw you, you know, in your OCD and said, hey, you know what? I really like you, but I can't I I just don't think I'm at a point in my life where I can handle this and be a partner for you. Has that happened before? Not explicitly, but I do think that my mental health and me not taking care of my mental health led to like one of my relationships ending. And at the time, I felt so enraged with him and I felt like he was the true villain and how dare he. But looking back now, I'm like, I wasn't taking care of myself. And, you know, should he have maybe in a different world where he was more willing to fight for the relationship, given me some more time to choose to take care of myself before leaving? Sure. But also, he didn't owe me that. We weren't engaged. We weren't even living together. We didn't have kids. We weren't married. You know, this thing is the thing is, is that some people will not have the capacity or willingness to be partners with you. And that could be because of your mental health. That could be because of your family. That could be because of your income. Like could be because maybe sometimes people watch a lot of Bravo TV. You know, there's great shows on Bravo, but it's not for everybody. You know, right. Like there are going to be some people that just either can't show up for you or don't have the interest in showing up for you. And it could be really easy to demonize those people in our brains. But, you know, unless they were abusive towards you, that's really just their choice. and. Being able to say, okay, so this person didn't have what I needed, but that doesn't mean that someone else won't. And and recognizing that if you struggle with your mental health, you do need a certain type of partner. You need a partner who is really empathetic. You need a partner who is understanding. And you need a partner who also, in some sense, will let you take care of it. You know, like there are some people where like if they see someone suffering, it is it causes them a lot of distress, right? Like it is like, oh no, my partner is in pain. My partner is in a depressive episode. My partner is dealing with anxiety. I must fix this. And that can cause a lot of stress and pressure on that partner, right? And so sometimes some of the work is saying to your partner, yeah, I know I'm depressed right now, but that's not your problem. Like, I really appreciate your support and it is so nice that you brought me dinner, but like, do not let this weigh on you. Like, I will go back to therapy. I will start medication again. I will like I I'm going to I'm going to take care of this so that you don't need to walk around with this weight on your shoulders. And sometimes they will have to have the weight on the shoulders. You know, sometimes you're dealing with postpartum depression and it's worse than it's ever been and you're going to need to show up for your partner more. But like I think really having this idea that like I can and this again doesn't speak to more chronic mental illness or more progressive things where people really do need extra support, but you know, for more, you know, for for disorders where like you are able to care for yourself, even if it is hard, being able to to say to your partner, like, thank you, but also go live your life, go out with your friends, go get the extra support system that you need. Like, this is not your burden to carry. Well, obviously, you've especially knowing that you're even going, you've gone back to school to get a degree in psychology. I mean, you've really really wanted to educate yourself as much as possible, um, you know, in book and then also just in life. You know, it, it is a different experience. I mean, we joke on this podcast all the time. You know, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s and we don't. 
But then there's some days where even if you don't have it all figured out, you go, wow, I know so much more than I did in my 20s just from living life up to this point. You've obviously been through an experience that I cannot imagine how earth shattering would be being engaged to someone and then all of a sudden, you know, using your words, having the rug ripped from underneath you and you are now finding yourself in in a breakup. So this happened in 2020 on top of everything that was going on in the world. But you said during that time that you were able to use so much of what you had learned up to this point, things that you were researching at the moment. So could you maybe give an example of what sounds like probably was your hardest breakup and how you actually came through the other side and could see the light at the end of the tunnel, like the the uh, tools that you were using, the safety nets that you'd created for yourself versus maybe a, a, a breakup from when you were younger, where you did not take care of yourself during that time. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that was really difficult about that breakup was I didn't know why it had happened. You know, my my fiance gave me nothing more than something is missing. He was very vague about what had happened, why his reasons. And with anxiety, anxiety loves certainty, right? So like my brain wanted to know why he had left me. I needed to know why he had fallen out of love with me. And so I could have spent months of my life trying to, and I, you know, to a certain extent, I, I did try, but like, trying to figure out, okay, what was, what was the problem? What was wrong with me that led to this, you know, fill in the blank with every, you know, insecurity and fear that I had about myself and then decide, oh, that's why. But at a certain point I had to say, I am never going to know why. Like I can guess I can, you know, go on the hamster wheel of providing all these potential reasons. I can, you know, think it's this one day and that the other day and exhaust myself. Or I can just say, I don't know why this relationship ended because he didn't tell me. And that's not my fault. You know, I really, I think in the past, I would have blamed myself for being blindsided. I would have blamed myself for being left. And instead, I was able to say, look, this person chose to treat me in a way that was disrespectful. And I know myself enough that if he had come to me with his concerns, I would have tried to work through them. But I can't feel guilty for not working on something I wasn't ever given the opportunity to. You know, and I also, you know, a lot of people came at me with, oh, you dodged a bullet. This would have happened no matter what. Like, you know, thank God that this happened now and not when you were married or with kids. And like, none of that really felt true to me. Like, I I truly don't know what would have happened in another version of our life. I don't know if it would have been the same if the pandemic hadn't happened. A large part of me thinks it probably wouldn't have been. But instead of obsessing over that, instead of obsessing over the what if, the what if the pandemic had it happened? What if I had done this differently? What if I had, you know, gone to couples therapy that one time you vaguely threw it out there, but I didn't realize how much we actually needed it because I wasn't, you know, like I I said, well, I just need to, I, I can't go back. I can't go back and recreate a world without the pandemic. I can't go back and tell myself what was coming. That's not how life works. And and so instead, really leading with an acceptance model of I'm accepting the reality that I'm in. And in this reality, there was a pandemic. And in this reality, I didn't see coming. And in this reality, I need to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that so many people are listening right now, just nodding their heads. Yes, because I think that we have so many people have found themselves 
in a um, even beyond just romantic relationships, whether it's, you know, with family or extended family or friend groups, you know, it's just been we are in a new reality and having to just accept that things do look and feel different. But to be able to do that, knowing that everything that exactly knowing that you were able to have a moment to say, my brain wants certain certainty, but I need to take a moment back and just really that you were able to check in with like your heart, your soul, your mind and like have a conversation with yourself is really important and incredible. Obviously, you've mentioned a, a few times that you, that you have a new partner, someone else that you've been dating. I'm sure you've been on other dates, you know, in the last two years since 2020. And since this, it didn't it doesn't I don't even want to call it a breakup. It's just like an abrupt end to a relationship that was really I out of your control. The abandonment. The abandonment. <laughs> love that. OK, since the abandonment. Um, and I won't grill you for all of the details of your dating history since then. But could you share with us one thing that like a moment within kind of that post abandonment dating, you know, period where you found yourself really doing like being your own your best girlfriend, being your best friend, telling yourself like, oh, you know what, I can let this one go. Or actually, I am going to put myself out there for this situation. Or I don't have to go on the second date. You know, just a moment where you realize like, okay, I'm actually at peace with where I am right now, and who I am, and I'm ready to be open to someone else again. So as unlucky as I was with the end of my relationship, I was actually really lucky in in finding my next one. <laughs> I I actually connected with my my current partner when I was still back in New York, like healing from, you know, I after I got left, I I flew home and spent three months in New York, my family just to, you know, grieve and heal. And while I was there, I was realizing that I was getting a lot of fear around dating, that I was starting to believe these things, that there was no one else out there, that I would never find anyone. I could I could tell that I was developing this unhealthy relationship towards it. And so I decided to get back on the apps to sort of disprove that to myself to sort of like I could tell that the longer I avoided dating the more difficulty I would have engaging with it so I I did a little exposure therapy of just like kind of forcing myself back on the apps and everything and you know I think I I I just got really lucky and then I connected with my partner after a couple weeks on there and um, we ended up dating like long distance for like a like a month or a few weeks while I was still in New York. And then I eventually like met him when I came back to LA. And meanwhile, I met him, my knee had dislocated on my way back. So I met him with like a cane and a knee brace. And, you know, it was a disastrous time for me. But anyway. (laughs) Hot girl summer. You're like, I'm ready. Yeah. (laughs) So my issue wasn't really so much in finding another person. It was allowing myself to be with a new person while I was still healing. And I think in the past, my binary thinking wouldn't have allowed me to do that. I would have felt such discomfort at the fact that I was still grieving this old relationship before while starting a new relationship. I would have been like, well, that's not allowed or I should be completely done with, you know, like I, I wouldn't have dealt with that discomfort well. And I, and, and there were moments, you know, where I started to, where I would freak out and want to push my new partner away and, and. But instead being able to say like, it's okay that this is messy. It's okay that I'm still processing. And actually, I, I always credit this to John where I'm like, I, I could not have been with somebody after who didn't let me openly process what had happened to me. 
I never had to hide the fact that I was still grieving. I, I actually did a lot of my healing through talking through it with John and like him showing up for me as a friend instead of me feeling like I had to pretend to be totally over it. And we were in this honeymoon stage of a new relationship. And I, I'm 30, you know, I was 31, but I'd never had had a past. I'd never had, you know, like we have the older we date when, you know, like the more history we have and the more baggage we have. And he had actually been through a, a rather similar experience where he was like abruptly left with his partner of many years. And, you know, so we were able to like relate to that and talk about that and allowing myself to be like, you know, the beginning of this relationship doesn't feel like a fairy tale because I'm still actively hurt. But that doesn't, you know, mean that it isn't good and that this can't grow into something and that I shouldn't deserve to push through the discomfort of this for what the potential of, you know, what it has to be. And so that I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of myself that I didn't bail on it. Well, I think you should be proud of yourself. And I think everyone needs to go and read your new book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. Uh, You are so right. There are so many books about mental health and so many books about relationships. And I think it is so important that you were able to bring them both together into one book and also be willing to share in your own vulnerabilities of what you were experiencing at the time. Also, everyone can, of course, course, listen to your podcast just between us with Gabby Dunn. Where else can our listeners find you on social media so they can stay up to date with everything that you have going on? So I'm at Allison Raskin on Instagram and Twitter. And then I also have a mental health focused Instagram account called Emotional Support Lady, which is also a sub stack with weekly blogs, advice column podcast, all things mental health. And also just my podcast is also produced by, by Melissa. So it's also very good. All of <laughs> the both, family. Exactly. The family. <laughs> We're both Melissa Mott's productions. So <laughs> It's so good to see you. I'm so happy for you. And truly, congratulations on this book. Everyone go out and read it. You're going to be so happy and uh, grateful for all of this incredible and necessary advice uh, navigating the world these days. So, Allison, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. I'm always constantly impressed with anyone who has come from the YouTube world because I still have a hard time with social media or cameras and just being able to feel super confident and expressing a version of myself that feels really authentic. It's funny that this microphone has been more of like a safe place for me to feel like I can share in my vulnerabilities in a way that I haven't really figured out to in social media. So the fact that 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 Allison is not only able to do that in video format and TikTok format and social media format, but also in, in a book is just really incredible. And something that I think that she said today that I have also really, really dug into more, especially now that I'm 35, which for some reason feels very different. Mid 30s feels very different than early 30s. I don't know why. I know it's very silly. I know it's just a matter of a few years, but it just feels different. I don't know if it's just all of a sudden now it's closer to 40 and then that feels like a whole new thing. But it is true that the more that you can really tune into who you are and and recognize that, you know, how we're all navigating this world, that we have a responsibility of our own 
happiness, our own joy, our own peace, you know, even something as simple as I know if I don't get enough sleep at night, it's going to affect my mood the next day. It's going to affect my ability to, you know, parent my children. It's going to affect, you know, how I respond to someone at the grocery store. It's all those little things that I can do to really make sure that I'm taking care of myself so that I can be the best version of myself walking around in the world. And I think that I did spend so much of my 20s kind of thinking that, you know, that taking on things that were happening to me as opposed to really looking inward and figuring out how I can how I can be walking through this world if that makes any sense I don't know I could just be overly caffeinated which is another way that I don't know maybe that's taking care of myself maybe it's not that that one maybe I'll learn that by the time I'm 40 but it's very true guys make sure that you tune into who you are and and especially I can't imagine navigating you know the digital relationship realm. I know what it's like navigating this post 2020 realm. And it's very important that uh, we got to be our own best friends sometimes. That's totally okay. So make sure to take care of yourselves. While you're doing that, pop on over to Barnes Noble or, or just the internet, because that is also where everyone does their shopping these days. But I'll be at Barnes Noble picking up Allison's book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD, and or Depression. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. We'll have a whole new episode waiting for you guys next Monday. Take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.